as we continue our series through the Psalms together, Songs for Our Savior. Psalm 12. I, I love this psalm. It's magnificent, short and sweet and to the point. Beginning in verse 1, for the choir director upon an eight-string lyre, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another. With flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy. Now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side. When vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you that your words are pure words. Father, thank you that you preserve them. And that in the preservation of your word, you also preserve us. Father, help us to not abandon your word. Father, help us like Peter. When many were fleeing away from the ministry of Christ, Jesus looked at the disciples and he asked, are you going to leave me too?" And Peter responded, where will we go, Lord, for you have the words of life. Father, help that to be the cry of our own hearts today in Jesus name. Amen. So beginning here in verse one, just two points today in the sermon, two points, verses one through five. We see this this concern that David expresses about the godly man ceases to be the godly man ceases to be. And the, the question that we could ask, and it's a good question to ask about anything in life, is what evidence is there that this is true? That's a really bold statement that, that David's making. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. Oh, OK, David, you're making a big statement here. You're declaring that there aren't any godly men on the earth. Of course, he's using poetic hyperbole. I would think David is assuming he's a godly man. But regardless, he's making a bold statement. Godly man, has ceased, it's, he ceased to be. What evidence do you have of this? He unpacks it for us as the psalm continues. That the expression of the godly man in the world is all about the word. Look at what he says. The godly man ceases to be. The faithful disappear from among the sons of men. All right, how do we know this? And he begins breaking some things down for us. They speak falsehood to one another. Flattering lips. And with a double heart they speak. Lord cut off the flattering lips. The tongue that speaks these things. The one who says our t- with our tongue will prevail. The one who says with our own, we speak with our own lips who is Lord over us. It's all about the word. It's all about speech patterns. Now I've complained about this a lot in my life and in my ministry, and I will complain about it now. Uh, I know that complaining is technically something you're not supposed to do, but I'm just going to take a little privilege and go ahead and just throw out a massive complaint right now. All right. So because most people in evangelical life don't do expositional preaching and teaching, they don't move through all the verses of the Bible 
book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, they skip a lot of things that are uncomfortable. And they gravitate towards things that make them more comfortable, whatever that is, whether it's stuff that they just feel comfortable talking about or little hobby horses or high horses they like to get on. That's what happens when you don't do that. When you don't skip verses, you're forced to deal with things that are going to make you and everybody else uncomfortable. And this topic of how people use their mouths is massively uncomfortable. Because all of us, if we're honest resonate really well with the sinners in verse four. With our tongue will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Now, that's super poetic from Hebrew into English. Let me give you the South Memphis version of that. Fool, who you tell me to say what I'm going to say? I speak the way I want to speak. Nobody can tell me what I can talk about, not talk about. I'm going to talk the way I want to talk. And I'm going to say what I want to say. And you got no right to tell me I can't say what I want to say. I mean, it's right there in the Constitution. It's not. But it's right there in the Constitution. Say free speech. That's not what that means. You actually get arrested for saying some things, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. Free speech doesn't mean you say whatever you want to say. That's not what that means. But I'm going to say something that's going to bother a lot of people in East Texas. I don't really care what the Constitution says. You know what the Bible says? In about six or seven hundred verses... Watch your mouth. Like there's lots of verses about being super cautious with how we use our mouths. Why? Because it's the misuse of our speech. And by the way, speech isn't just this. It's also this. I'm meddling now. I know. The misuse of our speech is the evidence that David gives that the godly man has ceased to be. James talks about it extensively in his letter. By a little small spark, a great fire can rage. So too it is with the tongue. Such a small thing. Such a small thing, like a small rudder that moves an entire large ship in the ocean. So too the tongue can move many things. The mouth, our speech can be incredibly dangerous and devastating, not just to the people who hear it, but to our own expression of godliness. And this wounds me deeply. I would much prefer not to be talking about this today. Because being someone who technically talks for a living I've said a lot of things over the years in ways that I probably shouldn't have said them, overstating a case and being unnecessarily harsh with my words. All while doing it under the umbrella of trying to do a godly work like preaching or teaching. You have no idea in the 20 some odd years that I've done this now, how many times I've had people come to me and say, you know, I I get what you're saying, but wow, that was kind of brutal. Did it have to be that sharp? Did it have to be that hard? Did it have to be that harsh? There's a truth there that is painful, but the way you said it was kind of doubling down on the pain. And of course, you know, we want to excuse ourselves and justify ourselves and, you know, well, snowflakes, you know, need to get a backbone and, you know, need to have tougher skin. And that's not what the Bible says. 
Bible says that harsh truth, difficult things are easier to swallow if they're laced with honey. Oh, but Jesus jumped people's cases. Jesus talked trash to people. And Jesus also raised the dead and healed the sick and gave blind their sight back and caused mute people to be able to speak, cast out demons in front of people. And so if you want to run around and be like, you're a blind God leading the blind to hell, I would like to also see you raise the dead in front of all those people. If you're not willing to do this one, then you might want to at least pause on that one. The godly man has ceased to be. Why? Because no one is using their mouths correctly. It's all about the word. What do they do? Let's walk through the list of what they do. It says they speak falsehood in verse 2. That word for falsehood, translated falsehood, is actually the word for emptiness. The things that they say have nothing in them. It's not just so much that what they say is not true. It's that what they say carries no weight. Because it's empty. It's just empty speech. The words might actually sound true. They might actually connect true dots. There's just no weight behind it. It's empty. Their words and their lives don't match up. There's emptiness in their speech. Or a different version of this. They're just saying whatever needs to be said in the moment. They're more than happy in the next moment to say the exact opposite thing. Because their speech has no value. So for this crowd of here, I'm going to say it like this. And for this crowd of there, I'm going to say it like that. And not to be too offensive because we are talking about being cautious with our words. I can guarantee you that whoever you voted for last time does that. On both sides. Just depends on the audience and the day in which newspaper they're getting a quote for. And if we're not careful, we do that. We have empty speech. Then he moves forward and he says there's flattering lips. The idea is smooth lips. It's one thing to lace things with honey to where hard truth can be swallowed more easily. It's another thing to say things that are not true to have people think a situation is not like what it is. Sometimes we have to be brutally true, but we have to be brutally true with compassion. Brutal truth with compassion is far superior than lies that sound sweet. And that's what these flattering lips is about. It's lies that sound sweet. I've used this as a humorous example before, but it really is one of the best ones ever. Way back early on in the show's career, my family and I loved to watch... American Idol. And in the early episodes, when they're trying to figure out who's going to actually be on the show, you'd get somebody up there who'd start singing and you're like, oh my word, what in the world? Like, why are, no. I I know what good singing sounds like. I know what bad singing sounds like. And I mostly know what bad singing sounds like because I've heard myself sing. So I I know, I really know what that sounds like. Like I'm I'm an expert on, dude, you really should... You should do solo. Solo, nobody can hear you. Like, I, I know that. Like, I know that I am that person. I know what that sounds like. And so these people would get up and they would sing and they would try to get on the show to, like, win a million bucks for singing. And in my mind, I, I would just go, did no one ever lovingly tell you this isn't your dream? 
Like you should do so. Like did nobody ever give you brutal truth with compassion or did they only give you sweet sounding lies? In other words, your mama lied to you a lot. Oh, baby, that sounds so good. No, it doesn't. Somebody, somebody tell this child the truth because Simon Cowell is about to tell this child the truth and he's going to do it not nicely. Like he's not going to follow any of these principles of speech that we're about to talk about and it's going to brutalize somebody. And that's a fun little kind of example. But, you know, we do that a lot of times in people's lives when it really matters. Somebody is stepping off a path of righteousness. And instead of giving brutal truth compassionately because we love them, we tell them sweet lies. Oh, that's not that big a deal. Oh, no, 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 that's that. No, there's a there's a reason why people act that way. Yeah, I mean, we can find lots of out of context verses to to see people in the Bible who really love the Lord who did what you're doing right now. Yes. No, no, you're good. You're good. No. Yeah. You keep doing what you're doing. You, You do you, boo. Yeah, you're good. You're good. And it's not true. And we let people start down a pathway of unrighteousness because we want to give flattering speech and have smooth speech. We don't want to be honest with people. Then there's the double heart, this double hearted speech he talks about here at the end of verse two. This double heart is the idea of divided, seeking only what's best at the moment. And then they're proud, and I mentioned it earlier, but it's worth coming back to again. With our tongue, it says we will prevail. In other words, we can accomplish anything through our speech. We can make all the empty promises. We can give all the flattering words. We can give all of the kind of encouragement and influence and sway and all this sort of thing. We can do it. And we can accomplish incredibly great things for ourselves just through the power of our words. Which we know to be true. Every one of us knows this to be true. The power of persuasion. The power of verbal influence. Crafting the way that people speak. How things are understood. What words mean and what words don't mean. There's a lot of hot topic button issues in our culture right now. And the only reason they're hot topics... Is because someone has taken what those words mean and slightly redefined them to where now you can't actually engage the issue on what it is anymore because it's become to mean something completely different in most people's minds. That's the power of the pride of words. And we all get frustrated about it. We want to have a, a vigorous conversation about race relations or a vigorous conversation about gender issues or a vigorous conversation about human sexuality. We want to have an, we want to have meaningful, in-depth conversations about moral and ethical and religious issues related to these topics. And suddenly we can't because the words have all been changed and they've all been redefined and they've all been shifted. With the power of our words, we will prevail. With our tongue, we will have victory. I cannot remember his name, but there was long ago, long, long ago in Scotland, there was a theologian who said, don't let me have the power of influence. Don't let me have a place in politics. Don't let me have uh, any uh, power in business. He said, if I want it to have power to change an entire culture, let me be the one who writes this generation's songs. 
because the words that they sing and the ones that they put into their hearts crafts the entire mindset of a whole generation. Because that's the power of words. That's what words do. He said, yeah, you could be a a big time influencer of, of business or politics or whatever. He said, but if you can get into the minds of people with the lyrics of their songs, you could change an entire generation any way you want it to. And I know this to be true personally in my own life. There's this power and this pride of words. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? We can say what we want, when we want, how we want, and no one can tell us any differently. Don't try to oppress and suppress me. I will speak. What's the hashtag for our generation? I'll do what I'll speak my truth. I'll speak my truth. And it's become a movement in our culture. You speak your truth. You say what's true to you. And you don't listen to anybody who says that what's true to you is not actually true. You find your truth, you live in your truth, and you speak your truth. Don't let anyone hold you down. Friends, I just want to break the really bad news to you. If you've got a truth, and I've got a truth, Miss Paulette over here has got a truth, and Jaren at the drums has got a truth, And folks in the back, you've got a truth. And none of our truth is the same truth. Someone is going to be suppressed and oppressed in their truth. You can't have five or six or seven conflicting truths and just everybody just speak their truth and live their life however they want to. It doesn't work that way. And we all know it doesn't work that way. Yet we all can resonate with the voice of the sinner in Psalm 12 of my lips are my own. Who is Lord over me? I say what I want. This is why the godly man has ceased to be. And and David is making the statement. David is making the point. The reason the godly man has ceased to be. The reason that the faithful have disappeared among the sons of men. Verse 1 is because even those who claim to be of the faith have no control over their mouths. Their speech does not reflect Godliness. It reflects severity. It reflects flattering lips and smoothness and emptiness and double heartedness and pride. It does not reflect the glory of God in Christ. Friends, it is the devastation of the image of God and the gospel in mankind. When we use our words for man's glory rather than God's glory, we have stepped into the most obscene way of rebelling against God. When you think through what it means to be an image bearer. Just think through it for a moment. What is the chief thing that sets humanity off from every other created thing? It is our ability to communicate speech in a deep and profound way. What's the very first thing we see in the creation story? God said, let there be light. God said, God said, God said, God said. And then he makes male and female, male and female created them. And we roll into the continuation of the creation story in Genesis chapter 2. And what is the mandate that's given? Use your mouth to go and name everything. This thing that I've been doing, 
these are stars and that's the sun and that's the moon and this is dry space and this is wet space and this is the sky and these are animals and these are plants. Hey, I tell you what, I want you to give names to all of it in particular. I've given names to it in general. I want you to give names to it in particular. Why? Because you bear my image and you're like me and nothing else is. And the power that I have displayed has been a power of my voice. And so I'm going to give power to your voice too. And when we use our voice for our own glory, we are expressing the highest level of treason against being image bearers of God. And yet most all of us, myself included, do some version of this every day. The way we talk to our spouses. The way we talk to our children. The way we talk to our parents. The way we talk to our co-workers, our friends and our acquaintances, our enemies. We display high level of godlessness in the use of the speech that God has given us to bear his image. The godly man ceases to be the faithful have disappeared from the earth. Why? Because no one knows how to control their tongue. So what do we need to do about that? What needs to happen With this weighty truth that David has given us. We need to embrace the fact. That there is a pure word. Verses 6 through 8. The words of the Lord. Are pure words. They are pure words. Friends words can have a destructive power. Words can have an overwhelming and devastating and painful power. Someone signs a declaration of war. Destructive words. Someone ridicules and belittles not an idea, but a person. Destructive words. Someone is lied about in their office place. The lies are believed and they hear the words. I'm sorry, you can't work for this organization any longer. Completely over something that's not true. Destructive words. Destructive words. False accusations are made against someone that runs their character through the mud. False Accusations, false words, destructive power. Words can have a destructive power. But friends, words can also deliver and redeem most particularly the words of the Lord. They're pure words. Notice what it says. It says here that they are pure words. That that phrase means that they are ceremonially clean. It is like the animal that is worthy to be sacrificed in the Old Testament law. There is nothing flawed about it. It can do and accomplish what it has been set out to do and accomplish. That is the idea. Purity of God's words. Also, God's words are perfectly refined. Notice the metaphor that's used here. God's words are like silver, meaning they're valuable, but also purely valuable because they've been refined in a furnace. Notice the language seven times. We were having a conversation in the back before the service about the old Revelation series. If you want to hear about the use of numbers in the Old Testament, seven is the number of complete perfection. 
perfect in every way are the words of God. Perfect in every way. And these words are kept by God himself. Look at what it says. You, O Lord, will keep them. God keeps his word for himself, as in he's a promise keeper. But God also keeps them, as in he keeps them. He preserves them. He does not allow anything to demolish, destroy, diminish, or overwhelm the purity and the greatness of his word. God also uses them to preserve his people. You will preserve him back to the the one who is in affliction from verse five. You will preserve him from this generation forever. How? With your word. With your word. So, friend, this morning. Say you struggle with. The misuse of words. Maybe maybe this descriptor that we just read describes me. Maybe it describes you. Maybe maybe this is a real problem that you have. It's a problem that I still struggle with, and it was a problem that was massively more severe in my more youthful days. And I thank God for his progressive grace in my life. So let's say you struggle with speech. I I don't want to be the guy known like that. I don't want to be the guy who talks like that. I don't want to be the guy who flies off the handle. I don't want to be the flatterer. I don't want to be the one who's double-tongued. I don't want to be the one I, I don't want to, I don't want to be the one who who fills the world with falsehood. I don't want to be the one who who distorts and twists the truth. I don't want to be the one who's speaking for my own glory rather than God's glory. I, I don't want to be the one who's so proud and so stuck on self that I can't acknowledge that God is actually Lord over my mouth and that he should have control over my speech and that my speech should reflect his image and his glory. I I want to be the one who who shows the greatness of Christ with my words. What do we do then? There's a lot of, you know, steps I could give. I'll give two. Both of them drawn from the scripture. First, don't talk so much. And so it seems like a no brainer, but it's all over the Bible. Even the fool shows himself to be wise when he keeps silent. Just learn to ask yourself the question. And kids, I apologize. My mom said I can use this word. Okay, make sure that your parents are okay with you using this word before you say it. But you should ask yourself this question. Is what I'm about to say, type, write, whatever version of verbal communication you're about to do. Is what I'm about to say incredibly stupid? If the answer is yes, don't say it. Just don't say it. Even the fool shows himself to be wise when he keeps silent. Man, this is probably the dumbest thing that I've ever gotten ready to say. Hey, y'all watch this. No, don't. Hey, watch this. Just keep your mouth shut. My wife laughed at me uh, uh, several months back. We were working through some stuff on my computer and I was looking for a file that she needed access to and and we couldn't find it. And so we did a big deep search and a folder came up in my computer. And she said, what is that? She said, what, what is that? It was the craziest name folder she'd ever seen. And the, the title of the folder, legit on my computer, the title of the folder is 
things that I was about to say or post, but I changed my mind because of the Holy Spirit. So like, like I just kept my mouth shut and then I went to my computer and said, and then I reread it and I was like, oh, thank you, Lord, that I didn't say that. Man, wow, that's awful. But I saved it so I could remind myself, this is the terrible person that you would be, Philip, if it were not for the Lord being the Lord of your mouth. It's a good time sometimes to remind yourself of this is what God has saved me from. This. Wow. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved me from being the kind of person who might would actually say that or write that out loud. Thank you. She, th- she got a kick out of it. She thought it was hilarious. Just don't speak. Just be quiet. The second thing, if you do have to speak and you feel compelled to normally speak wrongly, second pointer, don't say your words, say God's words. They're way better than your words. Your words, if your words are like my words, are usually going to be impure and they're going to be slighted and they're going to have a a sting behind them and they're going to have a lot of me rather than a lot of him. And so instead of saying my words, how about I condition myself to say God's words? They're pure. That's what it says. I want to speak pure words. I want to speak words that are valuable. I want to speak words that are refined. I want to speak words that are preserved by God and preserve other people. So how do I do that? Just say his words. You say, well, Philip, I, I, I don't know how to do that. It's real easy. Spend way more time in this. You say, is there a comma? No, there's the period. Spend way more time than this. I want to speak God's words. Then get to know them. Get to know them. If you go through the New Testament. Most scholars speculate that a quarter to a third of the New Testament is either a direct quote or an implied reference to words from the Old Testament. Why? Because they're pure words. I. Paul was like, I could tell you what I want to say, but instead I'll just tell you what God wants to say. Pure words. How do I do this? Keep your mouth closed more times than not. And if you do open your mouth, let it be God's words. Say, well, Philip, I'm going to end up being one of those guys who just doesn't talk a lot. It's okay. It's okay. It really is okay. Now, Why is it so bad in our world? We're going to end with this. Why is it so bad in our world right now when it comes to this? Because, friends, you're living under a rock or something someplace. You're in a cave. You're in a hole. If you don't know that, that, that it's just bad, language and communication and, 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 and words, it's just bad. It's almost like no one knows how to talk to anybody else anymore. Just don't. Why is it that way? Look at what it says here at the end. David closes. Usually David ends on the high note. He ends this time on a low note because he wants to remind us. He wants the last thought that we carry away from this idea of being careful about our speech and making sure that our words are pure words, that they're God's words. He wants to remind us why it is the way that it is. The wicked are proud. They strut about. I like that language. They strut about when vileness is exalted. Do you hear that? 
That word for vileness is worthlessness is the idea. The wicked are proud when vileness or worthlessness is exalted. Just take a look around at our world. What is exalted? What is exalted? What is it that people brag about? What is it that people boast in? What is it that people chant about and sing about and write songs about and make movies about? What is it that people make posts about in their social media accounts? What sort of things go viral? It's never the guy helping the old lady cross the street. That never goes viral. Boy, I wish we lived in a world where stuff like that would go viral. Hey, this guy helped this person out. It was great. It went viral. No, it's vileness. It's worthlessness. This is what people are about. If you go to the Billboard Hot 100 and you look down the list of the top 20 songs, and it's been this way for about 20 years. It's not new. It's been this way for about 20 or 30 years. But you go down the list, the top 20 songs in the Billboard Hot 100, you might find a song that's not vile. Maybe. Maybe. You go through the news feeds and you find out what snippet of information has gone viral. What is it that everybody's talking about? And it's usually something wretched. It's usually something wretched. And we as Christians often get tricked into participating in the worthlessness, participating in the vileness. We get caught up in the twisted use that the world has for words. And then we try to combat that by using their words in their same way. And we get caught into the death trap, the the crazy train cycle of trying to have these conversations in ways that shouldn't be had instead of using God's pure words. And inserting a purity into a toxic environment. But why is it that people feel like they can keep doing this? Why is it that people feel like they can keep speaking this way? Why is it that people feel like this is okay? It's because the wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted. They're proud of it. They're proud of it. It's a Romans thing. Not only do they do these things, but they give hearty encouragement and approval to others who do these things as well. That's where we're at. By the way, we've been there for a long, long time. It's not new. We've been there for a long, long time. So what do we do? What's the contrast? Friends, the question and the statement that were made at the beginning. The godly man has ceased. The the faithful man has disappeared. What is the contrast of that? How can the godly man not disappear? How can the godly person stay on the scene? How can the faithful still be around? Through the declaration and the embrace of the true, pure words of God. Would you like for the godly to still be on display? Would you like for the image of Christ to be made much of? Would you like for the glory of God to be made manifest in a worthless and vile world? There's 
a key way for that to happen. And it's for the pure, true words of God to be the thing that you embrace and the thing that you announce. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. That's really easy to say. And really hard to do. Really hard. We have way more examples in the scripture of even great godly people getting caught in the trap of the misuse of their mouths than we would like to admit. It's there. It's there on record for all of us to see. We get caught in the way of the thinking of this world, the mindset of the world, this longing for our rights and our rightness. And they usually go hand in hand. I have the right to do and say, and I'm right about what I'm doing and saying, and I don't really care how this impacts anybody when I, when I say what I'm about to say, when I'm going to do what I'm about to do. And we get caught in the trap of the emptiness, the emptiness, the worthlessness of that way of living, that way of being, that way of speaking. Friends, the, the upside is, is that this, this, that Jesus was the incarnate version of, he was the display of the word of God. He was the exposition of the image of the invisible God. That's who he was. That's who he is. He left behind for us a message. That when it enters into a world of emptiness, shines brightly a diamond of value and worth unlike anything the world has seen. And it's worth, through the power of the Holy Spirit, suppressing our own speech from time to time. It's worth it. It's worth not getting wrapped up in the empty chatter of the world that is distracting. Again, and I challenge you to look and find all of them. Hundreds of verses in the scripture. Hundreds and hundreds of them. That talk about how we as believers should use our mouths. How we can display righteousness through our speech. And how dangerous wicked speech can be in this world. Friend, I don't know about you. But I want every aspect of my life to manifest the glory of Christ. And it doesn't do me any good if my kindness to people in action is good and if there's, you know, charity and if there's mercy and if there's a good listening ear, if then when I speak... I speak words that are false and flattering and double-tongued and proud. I've crushed the value of all of these other things. 
Friend, the Christian has been given many tasks in this world. And many of them are hands-on. Feeding the hungry and caring for the sick and these sorts of things. The chief and prominent thing that the Christian has been called to do is to declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. The work of the church is predominantly verbal. And we wound our mission deeply when we have no control over our tongues. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for challenging texts like this one. Father, when we read these and we see ourselves in the first half more than we do in the back half, Father, forgive us. Heal us. Redeem us. Deliver us. Make us new. Father, help our words to be your words, pure words, refined words, valuable words. Father, we cry out with David that you will cut off flattering lips. You'll cut out the tongue that speaks these false but great things. Father, help our lives to be submitted to the life of Jesus Christ. All the way down to that essential thing. That central thing of how we speak. Father, let people see the glory of Christ in the way we communicate with the world. Father, we thank you in advance for the grace that you will supply to accomplish this purpose in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.